So this morning, we are going to continue to talk about some of the key values that we have as a church. What are the things we have that we, we cling on to? Why are we real-life church? And today, we're going to talk about one of those key things that's, that's really important for a church that is what we would hope to be grace-filled and a loving church. And, you know, we say real-life church, a church that's, you know... This is what life is really like. This is what I'm really going through. But at the same time, along with that grace and that love has to be truth. And so today, what we're going to do is to talk about the need and the belief that we have as a church that we fully believe in 100% grace, but also 100% truth. That this is a thing that has to be balanced. These things work together. And you will see that in Scripture as we look through some things today. But I wanted to talk about a story because, uh, to begin with, truth is not always easy to hear, is it? We'd much rather just focus on the grace side of things and the love side of things, not have to deal with the aspect of truth sometimes. In my particular case, last week, Diane asked me after she came back from the weekend, so Lance, how did you eat over the weekend. And you know, if any of you guys are like me, when the wife is away, you just eat whatever the heck you want to eat. All the stuff that you know you should not have, you are having. And so she asked me this because Diane, more than any time I've ever seen, has been just an exercise nutritional health nut. She's never, ever been that way. I've never thought she's ever needed to be for one, but nonetheless, she has just gone head of her heels into it to the point that some days she is literally working out three times a day. And she's counting her calories. She's got the Fitbit. I know, Darcy, we were celebrating on Facebook. How many pounds have you lost? 56 pounds. That is worth, like, some serious applause. That's incredible. Incredible. So Diane is just just wholehearted into this. And to the point, and, and I used to be there, it's funny, I wish my mom was in here, but she's cleaning up at the moment, where my mom and I are both on this diet at the same time. And when you get on this diet, you get to this point almost where you become self-righteous about the things that you should eat and should not eat. And my program says that you do this and you don't do this. And, well, your program would be better if only you cut out carbs and you added more protein and these kind of things. And I just remember my mom getting irritated at me because I was just like wholehearted, head over heels, this is, this is the way to go. Lost a little bit of weight. This is the only way to lose weight. There's no other ways. And so I was arrogant with that. But, but the point being is, Diane asked me this. And I'm not saying she was arrogant, but it was the truth that she told me that I did not want to hear. Because what she was really saying by simply asking me was, you know, are you serious about this or not? Because while, while she was gone, I basically got brats and, and dark beer and chips and I ate a whole bunch of crap. But what I simply tried to tell her was, I just did not eat well. But she wanted to know more. Well, what did you eat? I said, what do you need to know why I ate? What I ate, I just didn't eat well. I did not want to expose that truth. Did not want to go down that road. But there is a need for that grace to be balanced with truth. I need my wife to love me no matter what I look like, but at the same time, I do need to hear that truth. 
it's very uncomfortable, but for the sake of my health, there are certain ways that I should live and not live, things I should eat and not eat. That's a very uncomfortable truth. So there is a need for balance, and the balance that we're talking about today, of course, is the balance between truth and love. And we see those two words side by side in Scripture all the time, particularly when it describes the life that Jesus lived. You see, because when you think about it, if there is all truth and no love, that means that there is no grace. To hear nothing but truth but not have the ability to accomplish it or to fail and to get back up again means that there is no grace. And if there's all love, oh, honey, that's all right. You just eat whatever you want, you know, and no truth, then you're really headed for destruction. You can love someone up and up, upwards and downwards, but if you don't tell them the truth that they need to hear, eventually, because of that, something very bad is going to happen. You know, I've told this story before. A friend of mine had a son. His name was Seth at the time. He was knee-high to a grasshopper. And he liked to go into the kitchen. He'd like to turn on the gas stove. You know, he'd like to hear that little when the flame would come, come lit. So John was in the other room one day, and he heard this sound. He's like, oh, no. And he goes in, and Seth's playing with the stove. And he goes over to his son, Seth, and he's like, he just kind of, he didn't hit him hard, but like swatted his hand. He said, no, hurt the boy. Hurt the boy. And Seth, of course, as a child, is just like, well, I want to play with that, you know. But John loves him, wants him to have fun. But the problem is if he lets him continue to play with that flame, he's going to end up hurting himself. That's what parents do. They love their children, but they have to share the truth with them. No, this is not good for you. And if we are only a church that says, oh, I love you, everyone come, but we never actually address issues, we are doing anyone, we're not doing anyone any good. It's the phrase we've used before that God loves you just, you can probably say it with me, right? God loves you just the way you are, but he promises not to leave you that way. There are some things that need to change. So, you know, I've been in many unbalanced places. Unfortunately, I've been in the places that are churches, if you will, without the grace. Churches that just pound and pound and and the Christian life is just a bunch of boxes to be checked off, if you will. And these churches don't understand the love and grace of God oftentimes. have been in many places like that. And I've seen, unfortunately, many parents, though, too, that are the opposite of that balance, too, that there's nothing but love and grace, and they just let their kids do whatever they want. And there's a result for that, isn't there? Anybody ever met some kids like that? Are you a child like that? Now become an adult. I don't know. There has to be that balance. You've got to think about it. Balance in life in general is very important. You can't do anything without balance. I was thinking about that watching Meredith walk around the other day. You know, just this amazing scene. This little kid. You know, at one point she was, you know, barely able to walk, and here she is walking around. Walking requires some serious balance, doesn't it? We weren't always able to walk, but it requires that balance. Riding a bike, everybody good at riding bikes, okay? Riding a bike requires some serious balance. I do okay on a bicycle, but I'd be terrified to get on a motorcycle. I'm not sure my balance is quite that good, okay? Riding a bike, cars, driving a car, if your wheels are not balanced, certain destruction, okay? How about this? 
balance in cooking, okay? All right? You have to have the, and if you've watched, you know, Chef Ramsay and all, you have to have the balance between the, you know, the sweet and the sour and all this. But, you know, but if you have too much salt, for example, and even if you like salt, if you have too much salt, that food can simply just become unedible. You can't even eat it. Balance is really important. Now, when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to living for Christ, we need to have that balance of love and grace. I think one of the greatest stories of that, and we've talked about the story a lot lately, is the story of the, the woman that was caught in adultery. Jesus protects this woman, essentially, by simply saying to the rest of the crowd, anyone without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. That's about all he says. He's kind of sitting there with the woman, drawing in the sand. Everyone eventually leaves. You hear the rocks fall. And he says to the woman, has anyone condemned you? She said, no, Lord. He says, well, I don't either. But then he also says, but get up and, and don't do it anymore. There's a balance of that love and that grace that she needed to be lifted up, followed by the direction for this is the way now that you're up that you should live. Those two things have to go side by side, back to back. So truth, as we talk about truth, though, this morning, truth is something that brings freedom. We, of course, know the passage in John 8, 32. You've probably heard it several times. It says that you shall know what? Everybody help me out. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And, you know, we've heard it quoted in different movies and times, and we kind of pull it out of context and miss the point. But you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We don't always want to hear the truth, but when we face the truth, it is something that if we allow it, if we live by it, will set us free. It brings freedom. The things that we think that we want sometimes enslave us in a life that we really don't want to live. You know, as much as I think that I want to go ahead and eat all the stuff that I want, I really don't want that. It's really kind of a slavery in some ways because always after the fact, then it's like I have to put those jeans on. I have to put the clothes on. I have to go through that moment, and then I begin to have, anyone ever had those moments of self-loathing, okay? Because this is not really who I want to be. Maybe it's not with putting on clothes and being happy with yourself, but it's other things. Things I said that I shouldn't have said. Things I've done that I shouldn't have done. The truth, if we truly follow through with it, we hold on to it, brings freedom. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 8, we're going to look at verse beginning at 31. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, we have to break that down. It's a little bit big. Abide, live in, walk in, live, breathe the truth, his word, okay? You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you know it, you live in it, you abide in it, you breathe it, you walk in it, you will know it and it will set you free. But the Jews didn't quite get this. They answered him, he says, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It's as if the Jews were not able to think abstract, you know. (laughs) Jesus answered them and said, truly, 
truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So Jesus says that you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The version that I have it says that if you, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching. Knowing the truth means holding to his teaching. And there's a difference between knowing the truth and holding to the truth. Dennis and I went for a walk yesterday. And, you know, I, I'm like super fast walker when I'm going on a walk. And so Dennis is just trying all he can to kind of keep up, you know, to kind of hold to that same pace. Jesus says those who, who truly know the truth hold to his teaching. So there is a difference between knowing it intellectually up in your head and actually holding to it. You know, when I was a manager at Five Guys, Burgers and Fries, a place that I haven't been in because of all this, okay, when I was there as a manager, I had to make sure that our employees were holding to certain standards. And it was one thing for them to know what the standard was. It was another thing for them to actually follow through in doing it. There's all kinds of little things, and my job as a manager was to manage that, to make sure that things were done properly for two reasons. For food cost, okay? If you're wasting food, we're losing money. And the other even bigger reason, too, is that the customer satisfaction, if we weren't making it right, people would leave, which means, again, we're losing money. And one of the biggest things, the most expensive things in the store for a hamburger place is what? It's hamburger, okay? It's the meat, okay? And so what they would have to do is everything, we had loose hamburger, we didn't have frozen patties, that's part of the charm of Five Guys, they'd have to measure out these balls of meat and then later on to put on the grill but the meat had to be like 4.5 ounces whatever that was I don't remember the range of 4 to 4.2 or something like that ounces and say it was all done by hand and there was a scale there and the scale was there for a reason to make sure that they were proper weight but see after a period of time after they had done it for so long they'd get a feel for it and they they thought they had it and most of the time they were right but sometimes they weren't we'd have a string of these underweight patties and these people would come back with their hamburgers, and they'd kind of shove this in your face. You're like, really? I paid, you know, it's crazy money for a burger at that place. That much for this? And it's just this tiny thing you probably could have gotten, you know, Burger King or McDonald's. And so holding to that standard, it's one thing for them to know it. It's another thing to truly follow through with it. And there are reasons, as you can see by that example, behind it. But knowing the truth also means finding room. Jesus was saying, you are looking for a way to kill me. He's talking to the Jews, and he says, because you have found no room for my word. You don't want to hear it. There is no room for you to take in what I have to say. And I was at that point with Diane when she had asked me. I had no room for it. I had no desire to follow through. I was excited that she's happy about working out, but I'm not as excited as you are, you know. 
She was preaching the gospel of eating right, and I did not want to hear it. I had no room for it. Jesus says the same thing to the, to the, the Pharisees in this particular case. You have no room for my word. Have you found room? Have you made room for him? You know, last week we talked about the importance of relationships. We talked about the need to go deeper and to have time outside of here together. And it was, it was really neat because last week after church, uh, I was invited with this fine couple up here to go out to lunch. They found room for me to join them. Friday night, uh, I get a call from Justin saying, hey, why don't you come on over to our house and have, have dinner. Darcy's got some chicken tacos that actually will fit the plan, by the way, you know, um, to have, and then we're going to have a campfire. They, they made room. They found room for me and, and for Dennis because Diane's out of town. They found room. I think one of the most precious things, the biggest sacrifice it seems that we have to deal with when it comes to our lives as Americans is finding room, finding space, finding time. Time is probably one of the most valuable possessions that we have because there is so much going on. We're always constantly on the go, go, go. And so because there's very little time, the time that you give is is worth more than money, it seems. So when it comes to relationships, are you making time? You used to say that people could look at your checkbook, which hardly anyone uses anymore unless you have to send a paper check, and you would see what the priorities were. But I really believe that if you had a diary and you wrote down what you did during the day and where your time was expended, that you would truly find where your highest value and highest priority is. That's a truth you don't want to hear this morning. That's a truth I don't want to say because I have to point it back as well and say, where is my time going? Where is your time going? Is there room for him? Have you found room for him? Here's the thing about truth, too. And this is very, very unpopular to say in this particular day and age, is that truth, the very nature of truth, is that it has to be absolute truth to be helpful. It has to be real, and it has to be unchanging. The problem is, is that we live in a world that does not believe that. We live in a world that does not believe in that term, absolute truth. They believe though they may not always say it out loud, though some do, that the truth for you is fine, and I have a different truth. And this person has a different truth. This person has a different truth, and everyone's beliefs are equal. You cannot challenge my belief, and I cannot challenge your belief. All in the name of the new God, if you will, in America, tolerance. We do not want to offend anybody. And though the aspect of loving someone and being tolerant for someone is a very high value, I want to love folks no matter what their situation and what their scenario, what they're going through, whatever it is that they're facing. Though that is very important, we have a very unbalanced scenario where there is nothing but tolerance, there's nothing but love, and there is no truth. Because everyone 
has the right to believe what they want to believe. And that's great when it comes to loving each other and getting along, so to speak. But it's not great when it comes to truly holding to and understanding that there is reality, there is a truth to issues, there is a truth to life, particularly when it comes to Jesus. To me, the very the most important thing that you will ever have a discussion or conversation about, who is Jesus? It cannot be, well, I believe he's this. He was a prophet. Another person, and you you can't challenge that. That's what I believe. Another person says, he was a great teacher. That's great. You know, just had great things to say, like a wise old man, you know. We could break open stuff like fortune cookies, and there was a saying of Jesus, oh, he said you should know the truth, and that's, that's cool, you know. But then, then there's, you know, this other guy that says that I, I believe Jesus is Lord. In other words, I believe that, yeah, he was a prophet, yeah, he was a great teacher, but he was more than that. He was Lord, which literally means he wasn't just a man, he was God. And those three things cannot all be right. You can't just be a prophet, just be a teacher, and then be God. There's going to be a collision there. There's going to be a, a disruption, okay? And if we just choose tolerance and just love, then we have two out of three people whose lives are completely going the wrong direction, that are missing the point about what life is all about. And if you, the Bible teaches, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, if you're not following Jesus, that the time will come that you'll be separated from him forever. That's not a good feeling. That's a very uncomfortable moment to have to face up to that kind of absolute truth. You see, there is a need for absolutes, and we believe that the Bible holds absolute truth, so much so that we base our lives upon it. Everything that I have to, to share with you on Sunday mornings, what, what do I turn to to say, this is why? I don't turn and say, because Len said so. Or I don't say, because Davy said so. I, I point up here to the Scripture, to the Word of God, as we call it, the Bible, because that is what we believe is the absolute truth, the foundation on which we stand upon and which we live. That's the standard for us. That's how we know. And it's crazy. Think about it. If you don't know what the truth is, it is ridiculously nuts. Trying to lose weight, for example. How many books are out there? There are like five or six or seven. There's tons. There's probably thousands of different plans. No, if you do that, you'll get fat. You have to do it this way. You need to have a high-protein diet and no carbs. No, that's wrong. You need to have a high-carbohydrate diet and very, very, very little fat. You can't eat, you know, so like the, you know, you don't need to worry about calories. It's, it's the kind of food that you eat. You can eat as many calories as you want as long as it's just protein and vegetables. Ah, but the other side is, well, if you, you'll lose weight if you just, it's very mathematical. 2,000 cal- 2000 calories a day. If you get below that, you go into a deficit, you lose weight. It's mathematical. That's it. That's all there is to it. But you hear stuff back and forth and back and forth. And then you've got people, I've got the MyFitness app, and so I'm punching this stuff in. And you're like, well, should you 
count your steps or not count your steps. No one seems to know anything. Everyone's an expert in their own ways. This is the truth for, for this diet. This is the truth for that. that. It's, just, it's chaos, if you ask me. And those that say the truth is this is people like Darcy that says, this is what worked for me. That's kind of the, the, the God of this world, if you will. This is what works for me. But there is only one truth. Something has to be right, and something does have to be wrong. It's chaos without it. And so we base our lives upon Scripture. But we do it in a certain way. Because when you hear that, some of you begin to tense up saying, okay, well, I've been in those churches, again, that I was talking earlier, that are all about truth and no grace. And, like, I'm not going to be a part of a church where you have me on the corner holding a sign. That's not what I'm talking about. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be, say the word, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Let's just start there. He didn't even got what, what we talk about. You should not be a quarrelsome person. So when you share a truth with someone, you should never be described as quarrelsome. Someone who's always stirring up crap, getting in fights, getting in people's faces. That's not how the Lord's servant is to be. Is not to be quarrelsome, but what? Kind to everyone. Able to teach. Patiently, this is interesting, patiently enduring evil. Now there's a little bit of, I wouldn't say tolerance is the right word, but you're dealing with it. It's not means you're accepting it, but you're patiently enduring it. Man, this is not good. Correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. Not quarrelsome, but gentle. The truth and the love coming together. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Not quarrelsome, gentle. We're praying that God would basically cause certain people to come to their senses. When Diane confronted me last weekend... I had to come to my senses, and I did. All right, I can't live like this any longer. So we we share the truth with people. We share it in a gentle and a loving way, praying that people truly come to their senses and say, okay, this is what God has to say. I serve him. I will walk in this way. And we believe that because we know that according to the Word of God and according to our own experience, too, and according to the history of the past, there's so much stuff that we could throw into all this that this is what real life is about. And if you're not living for Christ, you're missing everything. Everything. You know, I have this instance with Pilate that kind of stirs this up a little bit. I know I'm running out of time. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus is about ready to, to go to the cross, not far from it. And Jesus said this, he said, my, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over 
to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And when he says my kingdom is not from here, he's not talking about the earth. He's talking about the, there's a, a way that the world is. The world, if you follow the world, these are the principles of the world. My kingdom is, is different than that. And so he says, Pilate says to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, or my version that I've got NIV, I think, says, um, or is on the side of truth, listens to my voice. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, was trying to get them to move on. So Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. But Pilate's one of those people like like the rest of the world that we live in now. It's like, ah, what is truth? It's like the dieting thing. Yeah, whatever. Kind of blows Jesus off in that moment. Truth and love have to go together. John 17, let's take a look at that passage. Jesus says, I am, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He's talking about his disciples. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. You know, the way the world thinks living as a Christian in this world is not a very popular thing. We're not of the world. We don't think the way that the world thinks. We should not be living the way, in many ways, that the world lives. So I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You know, the word sanctify, it's kind of one of those words, unless you've been in church forever, you don't really quite get it. Sanctify literally means to be set apart to set aside. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus was balanced, as I said earlier when we started this morning, with these two things. He was balanced with love and grace. In John 1.14, just to show you that passage, the word is speaking about Jesus here. God became flesh The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, when you bring those two things together, are powerful. We talked about the adulterous woman and how Jesus loved her and he lifted her up. 
I want to close with this story this morning that comes at the very end. We're going to skip over some verses, Davy. Luke chapter 7, we see this story about this Pharisee who had invited Jesus to dinner. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus really knew, if he was a prophet, he really knew, he'd know what kind of woman this is. This is a, just a different kind of circle, you know? It's kind of the verbal rocks kind of gathering here. So this Pharisee saying this, and Jesus answered him, he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. 500 versus 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you go in peace. Here was a woman that made room for Jesus. Went to the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee didn't do any, I think, the four or five things Jesus mentions. This woman has completed them all. She made room in her life for Jesus, knowing that she was a sinful woman, coming and seeking Christ for forgiveness. How do we know that? Because Jesus says that. He is the only one that can truly see into hearts. So she comes and she literally pours out everything, and people say that the alabaster jar full of perfume was just worth all kinds of money. It was everything that she had. She poured out all that she had for him, made room for him completely. To get to that point, she faced up to that truth, but knew that where true love and true grace, true life is found. 
it's only found in one place. It's only found in Jesus. Truth and love together. It's the grace to, to get back up. Imagine the life, the rest of the life of the woman that we read about here because of the grace of Christ. Grace and the truth being confronted at the same time. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the love and the grace that you continually show us. Would you give us that grace and you give us that love for a reason so that we can get up again, so that we can live life the way that you've called us to live it. And Lord, that's a wonderful truth. And Lord, the story of you what it means to live for you has been shared so often without love. I pray that we would share it fully and wholeheartedly with, with love and with grace. Lord, that we do share the truth. We don't shrink back from it because it's a wonderful, life-saving truth. So, Lord, we thank you today that, that you have forgiven us. Lord, I pray that as we think about your truth, Lord, that we make room for you, that we never push you aside, that you are always front and center. Lord, I pray with a, one of the most valuable possessions we have with our time, Lord, that we truly make room for you with everything. Lord, may you always be number one in our lives. And Lord, may we pour everything we have out for you. Thank you for this morning together. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.